Right over the hill from the Albion Castle in the Bayview neighborhood of San Francisco. I'm Schmitty, and this is Talkin' Schmidt. Today on the show is legendary vert skater Jordan Richter. Jordan was in the best skate video of all time. He placed top 10 in street, mini, vert, and even freestyle at the 92 Am Finals in Atlanta. And today he's in Fremont teaching kids all about skateboarding. He spent some time with meditation, but says what really gives focus is fasting. What has been the most, I think, life-changing for me has been probably been fasting. You'll be agitated at first, but the more you practice it, then it'll start breaking you down and you become more humble and you become more self-reflective. So fasting cools that fire down. The best sessions I've ever had was when I was fasting. I did a maple syrup fast. I think Cab and Christian were doing it too for a while, but it's water, lemon, maple syrup, and cayenne pepper. I, was, I did that for 40 days, but I, I learned kickflip nose wheelies in, in the pool then in, in Cunningham out of the shallow into the deep and that was I did that on the fast because of the clarity and the energy that I had also I really need to give a big shout out to Matt D and the Deluxe SF Bros who recently started carrying the Schmidt hats and beanies give them a visit at 1831 Market Street and tell them I sent you this is episode 37 and as I've mentioned I'll be getting interviewed for episode 50 Please submit any questions you'd like included in the interview to talkinschmidt at gmail.com. That's talkinschmidt at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at talkinschmidt.com. I got to give a special thank you to Steve Martin at Nasty Little Man for helping me be a part of San Francisco history over the weekend where Metallica played the first ever event at the brand new Chase Arena with the San Francisco Symphony. Truly felt very special getting to be there for all that. Pretty amazing. And the venue, so far, I'm backing it. Anyway, enough of all that. Let's get on with the show. This is Jordan Richter, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. Here we go again. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Just give it the old college try, right? Our big dog's in. What do you think, Schmitty? 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. He's so fucking big, dude. Shit my pants, lad. You roll the decks, it's fucking deep. Are you ready? Come on, Schmidt. Hello, everybody. We are here at Central Park in Fremont. We're at the skate park, and I have none other than Jordan Richter here with us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm stoked right now. I'm hyped that this has actually came. We've been talking a little bit back and forth, and we made it happen today. I'm hyped. I'm honored, man. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I usually start with like uh, you know some background stuff, like where you were born. Okay. Um, I was born in Miami, Florida, in a place called Coconut Grove. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, pretty much a tourist spot now. Uh, it's like in Dade County. And uh, I was born in Mount Sinai Hospital. And uh, it's, um, yeah, I it's basically grew up on the, the Miami Beach. Okay. Yeah. And w- were you raised there or did you? Uh, yeah, I um, 
moved from there. I lived there for 10 years. Uh, I moved from there when I was 10 to to San Diego. Okay. Yeah. So when did you get into skateboarding? Uh, probably about six months after I got to California. Okay. Yeah. San Diego. I, I, was, a, I was an avid tennis player prior. Oh, yeah. true or false, you almost went pro. Uh, no, false. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Maybe I could have if I had the money to go to a tennis camp. Yeah. Pete told me that one that you were <laughs> the, um, Do you remember like getting the bug though? Like what, what you saw or how you ended up getting your first skateboard? Yeah. Um, I was coming home from school one day and I saw some, I just saw some guys, I came upon some guys skating in their parking lot and they had, uh, they had built their own quarter pipe with like, it was like a four foot high quarter pipe they went to vert and had pool coping or had uh, tiles on it with PVC coping and they were, you know, kick turning on it and, and um, just skating around. And I, I was at a time in my life where uh, we had a lot of challenges in the home. So I was, I guess, actively looking for something that I could kind of find to, to keep myself busy and do and skateboarding looked like that that would be the thing I could get into. What was your first skateboard? My first skateboard, I think my mom bought me was a, I guess a Toys R Us board. Like it was just one of those plastic. It was a, a fiberglass board. Transpa- it was like with transparent wheels and the bearings. You know, it had that really loud. It didn't have really any seals in it. It was just right. shh. I think I got a good few months out of that and then continued skating and found out that uh what a i guess a real skateboard would be and then my mom took me to la jolla surf systems which is a surf shop down in la jolla mm. and and picked up my first quote-unquote real skateboard which is a it was a gns board and um it was like had a dog on it or like a wolf with bob wire it was a it was a complete so i bought it off the just so, off the rack so it's kind of like a team board yeah it was it was yeah like we'd be probably compared to like a price point powell board now sure yeah. And approximately what year was that? It was 84. 84. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and so then did you? Ju- it just blew up from there. You you started skating, meeting people. And- yeah, well, I lived in I lived in University City. And, and uh, actually, me and both Peter Hewitt lived in University City. I lived on the north side of the canyon. And he lived on the south side of the canyon. And in the canyon itself was a ramp called the canyon ramp. Ah, that a bunch of uh, Hessians and, and I think even Pete's brother, if I'm not mistaken, had a hand in maybe building it a little bit. Uh huh. His brother Paul, the guy that I learned how to skateboard from, his house was overlooking that canyon, so I could see from the actual where the quarter pipe was situated, I could see the canyon ramp also down there. Mm. So um, naturally, after going there all the time after school, I eventually found my way down to the canyon ramp, and that's where I met Paul. And eventually, I met Peter, and then Peter had a um, a half pipe in his yard. Oh, so it was interesting. It was like the quarter pipe was at the the north side, and the canyon ramp was in the middle, and then Peter's was on the. So we had a little trifecta of, of ramps <sighs> at, all at one time, which is interesting. Nice. <laughs> so was Pete already kind of? Peter was good. Peter or? was already good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pete was doing like thrusters out of the of the ramp like out of his the ramp was like five and a half six feet tall with with like six and a half foot transition huh. went to vert basically like right to vert it went right to vert pvc or super metal? quick i think it was black pvc half cut okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he was doing um thrusters he did front side 540s out or like off the lip 
Oh, wow. And, I mean, he was... Now, I don't know if he was doing them necessarily then. I know Pete was skating a little bit longer than I, w- than I was. He uh-huh. started before me, probably, I want to say, maybe a year or so before me. Pete's brother was a, was a skateboarder first, I believe. And then we had Eddie Aliotto, and we had Adrian Shetterly, and we had other local locals in the University City area that were... Uh, Eddie, Eddie Aliotto was also really dope. Yeah. He's a, still a great skateboarder. Uh-huh. Great guy. We spent time with him on the Big Island. Uh, we went out there for 13 days and skated with him in backyard mm-hmm. pool and ramps and yeah. got to know him pretty well. It was really fun. So those were the guys that you kind of got better into skateboarding more. And uh, At first, yeah. What was your first sponsor? How did that happen? Technically, yeah, my first sponsor was like Delmar Skate Ranch. Adrian Domain was giving me... He was flowing me Powell boards. Uh-huh. It wasn't really like a sponsor, obviously directly through Powell, but it was my first experience with getting something free from the industry or from a pro. So Adrian would, you know, gift gift me a board or a set of wheels. After I started entering contests and getting more involved in kind of following the, the castle circuit, I think my first, then it was Dogtown for a little, well, it was Dogtown through Tim Romero. We were talking a little bit. Like, I mean, when we say talking, meaning they're like considering maybe putting me on. Uh-huh. I got a board through Tim as well. But eventually, like my first real sponsor was like, was uh, was Santa Cruz. Okay. Through Jason, Jesse. Oh, really? Yeah. I think Jason was the one who got me on. Oh, yeah. sick. Yeah. You were skating with him at Del Mar? No, I was skating, well, skate with him at Del Mar, but I don't know if you really, I don't know if you took notice of me then, but at McGill's was when we really, where we would, you know, get to know each other or skate together uh-huh yeah did you skate fallbrook back then a little bit but i wasn't i was um during the time of when fallbrook was was alive busy with sessions i i think i was uh skating um i think i was not skating at that time i think it took like a year off and then i i think i just stayed mostly at mcgill's yeah i didn't really go to fallbrook yeah I, i'd skate sometimes but not yeah were there sponsor me tapes or any of that stuff back then or was it just no, word was, of mouth no, through were, their guys? No sponsor me tapes. There was um, the, the contests, ironically, were like the big kind of deciding factor. Like if you were doing good in contests, then you started to kind of get a name for yourself. Okay. And I, I was, I guess I was doing good in contests. So that, that, that helped. Right. But I was also skating a lot with, with all these guys too. Uh-huh. And so there was only a handful of us that were, you know, really skating a lot of vert at the time and a combination of the contests and, uh, and probably the, uh, the people you knew that you were skating with. Sure. Know. Did you, ha- you have clips in any of those, uh, early? Yeah, I had, a, I had some stuff in reason for living. Reason for living. Yeah. <laughs> was that your first? That was my first. Well, it had strange notes, strange notes. We had like little one minute clips, uh-huh. one minute, like, yeah. Reason for living was probably my first real like skateboard part. Rad. That was a good video. It was a good video. Yeah. yeah. Sick. From there, what happened? Was the next stop blind or was... At that time, I, I was living with Danny Way in Fallbrook, like in the middle of nowhere. And Danny had his mini ramp, like creation. And Danny, at the time, I was with Santa Cruz. They were taking care of me, you know. They, they sent me to contests and they are giving me stuff. But... <clears throat> I don't know, maybe it was just I felt disconnected from the rest of like the team or never really felt connected in that way. Well, I think what it was is I was hanging out with the, with, with Danny and the other quote-unquote cool guys, and I wanted to like probably fit in. I think what happened is uh, Danny 
moved on to, I think Mike Trinansky was starting, I think, Plan B, if I'm not mistaken. And then he moved over to, or no, <laughs> I can't remember. It was either Plan <laughs> B or H Street. It was a little bit of a blur there. But Danny, um, uh, you know, the story goes is that, like, Mark already knew a little bit about me through at McGill Skate Park. Okay. I've skated with Mark a little bit there. I mean, we definitely, like, knew a little bit of it. And then I was, uh, I was, winning contest at the time as an as an am whatever that means mm. and i was getting a little bit of a name for myself and i was living with danny and so danny i think wanted to move on to something different it was plan b or h street i can't remember but and then i think he in exchange basically uh i wanted to get on blind i, I asked him you know, hey you know what do you think about me riding for blind so he's like i'll, I'll see what i you know I'll, I'll talk to rocco or i'll talk to mark i don't remember who he talked to but anyways it's I found myself getting hooked up with uh, with them and right and then Megan Baltimore drove out to Danny's house and moved me out to LA. So I moved in with with, with Jay Lee oh. in in a in a loft in, in downtown LA for about a year or so. And that was that was interesting <laughs> to say the least. And and then I started skating along a street and that's kinda how my kind of street street ish uh, part of my career started to get underway. Was, Skating with Jason. Was the influence with Jason. Yeah. What year was that about? Mid-90, 91. Okay. 91, 92. Yeah. Is that right when you guys started filming for the video days? No, we filmed for video days, I think, even before then. Oh. It, well, yeah, no, I'm sorry. We were filmed a little bit before then, and then we finished the filming when I moved up there. We, di- we did some filming in San Diego when I was living in San Diego. Uh-huh. And I think we did a we did more of completed the filming like at Christian's ramp in Hollywood. Oh, sick! In the, yeah. uh, the WC Fields yeah, uh, house. I remember. And so I finished off the filming um, in there, you know, up there. It was only a handful of filming uh, sessions, by the way. It was I did wasn't like an extensive like filming sessions with Spike film. I probably filmed a total of like five six times. And what what was that like? Was it just like we're going skating? He's going to film, or was it kind of pressure? Like, hey, we got to get some shit today because Spike's coming, or like. No, it was it was pretty easy easy going, you know. Mark was always so so maybe the pressure probably came more from like my other teammates. They wouldn't say anything, but I would feel like I was the vert guy, so Right. I felt out of place already. And then Rudy and Guy were just, you know, super gnarly skateboarders, but they never really like I mean Rudy was, you know, cordial with me and Guy didn't really feel like ever really liked me. This is the truth. Sorry, guy, <laughs> oh, which is okay. But there was always this weird, like, kind of uh, thing. So naturally, I probably felt a little bit uh, pressured to perform. I don't know. I I, pro- I didn't probably didn't care as much as some of the other guys did. Maybe I should have. I, so I didn't really have a filmer or anything. It was just like when Spike came, I would film. And and naturally, I wanted to impress them and wanted to to come up with something that was going to be good and right. worthy. But it wasn't any like pressure from definitely not from Mark's side. Uh huh. Mark was always right, just kind of whatever, easy come, easy go. But he's Mark, so you want to naturally, you know, sure. make him happy. Did you build a pretty good relationship with him? Did you guys hang out a bunch back then? Um, no, I didn't hang out with Mark that much. I did get some time with him, like at his house, and and did get to spend some time. Did a little traveling. I will say though, out of all of them, like. Mark always struck me to be the most, and and they're all you know good guys in their own right. Um, Jason and me were, were were very close. We're not we're very close. We're not close anymore. But he's a 
I believe you know he's a, he's a good guy. Uh, obviously, Mark is super awkward and you know uh-huh. eclectic guy, but but at the end of the day, like his heart is uh, is a really good good person. And then how did like the um, the skit part work? Did were you guys all done? And then Spike's like, we got to tie it all together, drive the car. Like, how did all that stuff happen? If my memory serves me right, it was um, they bought the car obviously for the full whole gig and I don't know where they found it how they came up with it uh-huh. but um, I don't know whose idea it was to actually go I don't know if it was Spike's idea or Mark's it may have been something they came up to, with together yeah um, but basically uh, we drove to Mexico and we drove over the border and we just searched for a place <laughs> that would be you know a low you know low visibility place where we can actually drive it off a cliff uh huh and so the way that happened was like Mark kind of jerry-rigged the gas up to where like it would accelerate when he, so he ghost-rided it, but he may have dropped a like brick, put a brick on, or something. on the gas pedal right? and then just let it just accelerate off the, the end. <laughs> we get one yeah. take. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> one take. One take only. <laughs> and now, you know, the idea was obviously to like, you know, that we died in the end of the video. Yeah. But not before getting, you know, completely drunk and underage uh, drinking and. Getting smashed with uh, tequila. Awesome. I was drinking real beer at the time. Yeah. And I had a lot of zits. And I had a lot of zits. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, I will say is like at that point, this is fun fact, is that I remember watching the video, besides having the most fast forwarded video part, which people make that joke. I think it's ironic because most people who say that joke are people who usually don't skate vert. Yeah. And people who haven't dropped in a vert ramp. Uh huh. And people who, you know, I'm not saying out of arrogance, but probably couldn't do you know you, you'd have to i guess skate vert to appreciate some of the stuff right but uh i remember watching sitting down with like javante and like mike carroll and all these guys and people have have told this story before my face showed up drinking the uh the alcohol the <laughs> drinking the, the beer or whatever and all my zits showed up and everyone was like whoa you know like making me feel extra bad you know which was Really traumatizing for for a little kid at the time. It's like you guys are freaking, like you guys are jerks, man. Uh-huh. So it was like you know, it was always it was either the fast forwarding part or the zip. But, but now I I look back and laugh at it. I'm just like that's that's it was it was kind of funny. Did you have any input in the song? Um, you used <laughs> no. my, my war, well, right? That's the thing is I think I, I was a Black Flag fan at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was too much of a fan of that song per se. Uh-huh. But again. With Mark, it's like, I remember Mark had the video where it was like just before it was going to be, probably a short while before it was actually final edits were done and it was going to be released and the music was being added and Mark was, I remember being in the editing room with Mark and sitting down in front of the computer. He's like, it's like, dude, do you like this? It's exactly like that. He's like, dude, Jordan, do you like this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure, 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 Mark. Like, whatever you want, man. I felt always compelled to like, probably because of the respect I had for Mark and Mm-hmm. As a kid, obviously, I looked up to him in that way, in awe of, of Mark Gonzalez. So the song was a little bit of me, obviously, liking Black Flag, and probably a little bit of um, me following what, what was suggested by Mark.
I'm sure there was some rhyme and reason behind my war, you know, because it was, at the time, maybe Mark looked at it from like a, and I'm only assuming this, but maybe looked at it like, you know, this dysfunctional kid who's like skating vert and he's, that's all he does. And it's just like, this is his kind of his war, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that was like a, a message. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I only say that because Mark has always been really thoughtful in the what he releases. Absolutely. So I don't know if that was his aim or whatever, but because he knew my parents. Oh. I mean, he knew that of my situation, that I, my mom and dad were having massive drug problems at home, and I had my own challenges at home. So that may have been like his, from his like outlook on it, like, you know, who knows? But this is my own assumption. Did you know at the time how special th you, that whole situation was? No, I didn't at all. Did um, you think any of the guys did, or was it just kind of like... Well, no, so let me take that back. I knew that Mark was special, uh -huh. <laughs> of course. Jason, I knew it was the best team to be on uh -huh. in my own mind. Yeah, I knew it was like it was it was the it was the coolest thing, no doubt about it. It was the best team at the time, as far as like the the credibility it brought being on Blind and and who they were, right, and what they brought to skateboarding. But the impact of the video itself and how janky it was and how like grainy and and kind of crappy the the quality was when it was released, then it, it clicked. When it was being made, no. But Mark's part was the definitive, like, that was, like, hands down. Like, when the when he opens up and he's carving around to, jazz. I don't know if it was Miles Davis. But yeah, the, the jazz riff uh -huh. where it's just completely different than you've ever experienced in a skateboard video. Yeah. There's never been jazz used. There's never been this kind of free-flowing, surfy, you know, middle finger to everyone. It was the real first real video that Mark, I think, maybe had total creative control over. Uh -huh. Since he left Vision, and so it was just—it was everything you'd want to see from, and you saw Mark's hand in it all, and and Spike's. And Spike is extremely talented, obviously. He's a huge, you know, influence of a lot of the production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it was out, and you can you can see the the kind of momentum building, but beforehand, no, I, di I didn't. I mean, that's pretty much anybody who skated that long's favorite video. If you ask somebody that skates that skated in that era. Yeah. That's their Besides my part. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I never fast forwarded. I heard about the vert button way later in life. Because I grew up on vert skating, so it didn't even make sense to me uh, that you yeah. would fast forward vert. That's all good. Um, Mark Johnson, you know, props to Mark. He he posted that video, my video part, like a, 
about a year ago and, and with the middle finger he's like you know, f all you guys man yeah so i was stoked on that it was it was val- validating to see guys later on um supporting well the obvious thing is that kids well nowadays there's skate parks everywhere but at a time kids didn't have access to vert as much you know so you could walk out the the door skate yeah. street but to have a vert ramp you have to have it in yeah and, and there was a, there was an elitist mentality amongst some of the street skaters where a lot of this these ideas spawn from uh. so you had like and and mike carroll is a good friend of mine and mike actually never really was like played a role so much as like some of the other guys but you had like guy and you had tim gavin and you had some of the elitist folks in the street scene that were seemed to be the loudest you know ones that would bark at my part uh. and to kind of ridicule and laugh at la- laugh at it and uh, you know guy eventually you know ride vert and such but you know I, I don't know what their aim was or what they were trying to get at but i guess it was just it just probably seemed out of place uh, from a vert part and and the music i think the song i always say that maybe if it was a different song that was more uh, less intrusive on your 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 ears and your space right maybe it would have been a little you know a little bit differently received but i don't care i mean i'm i'm honored to be a part of the whole thing it's it's, it's oh, yeah. really cool to look back and be able to show your kids that so yeah that's amazing was there a premiere for that back then or did they not have premieres dude was there a premiere shoot i can't remember Uh uh-huh there was a premiere i think i want to say yes but i don't remember don't really remember i should remember but i don't i remember in uh i think it was 1992 phil Shao and i drove to the uh am finals in atlanta at the skate zone yeah and i think you got you got top three in all three things and you might have won two of them i think you won the mini ramp got second invert maybe and i think i got third invert i think colin won i won the mini ramp contest yeah i think costin got like second i don't think i got top three i think i might have got like fifth or sixth or seventh or i can't remember in the street and i got 10th in freestyle so i i, oh, I placed them all that's what okay. <laughs> i brought out the primo slide then we, yes. we learned primo proper primo slides on this so as far as anybody like whatever their opinion is you're a very diverse skateboarder that, that was my I, point i appreciate is, that yeah Thanks. like yeah. and you had street tricks in your part in the blind video when a lot of vert skaters stopped skating because of street i mean we all know the gator story and how that kind of yeah. affected his it's life heavy and, man and different people but uh yeah i've got a gator story by the way yeah <laughs> did you you knew gator yeah 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 we skated i mean i knew him yeah we skated together and we skated del mar we skated mcgills i've never seen anyone on a skateboard like and, and this is, sounds super cliche and probably corny but i've never seen anyone on a skateboard with that much like like energy and like fury super gnarly such a tragic tragic end man such an unfortunate end you know not for him i mean i th- i think that he deserves everything he got but for the the family you know that yeah. was affected by it uh, i had a I had a thing that happened with gator and i think it was m- myself and a couple of the locals it was two weeks before he turned himself in he was evangelical christian so he's very you know outspoken and he wanted to share his faith with everyone and at the time as kids like we didn't understand all that so we kind of like, you know, that was around the time where the MC Hammer song came out, We Have to Pray. So I, I started to be the, 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 the a-hole kid that I am and started singing that song, uh-huh. not knowing his mental state at the time, oh. that he was actually like 
just committed a murder. So he was a very, he was a loose cannon at that time. And I was at the sideline, on the side of the vert ramp. I remember that very vividly because it was like, it was scary. <laughs> I was like, you know, we, you know, we have to pray, 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 <laughs> pray. <laughs> and just did the whole lyric, you know, uh-huh. run down. And then he like, I went up on the vert ramp to drop in and he literally walked up and did the, you know, and pulled a, now you like, you pull a punch back, but he did that with his board. Like he went to like strike me with his board and then he like, you know, pulled himself back. But I could see that it was like, it was, that was possible for him to do that. Yeah. And then later on we, we found out that he turned himself in and I was like, whoa, that was gnarly. Like there's a lot of unfortunate, tragic stories like that. Where, yeah, absolutely. You know, people just, uh, Jason, Jesse, he told me that I think right around that same time, like it was definitely after the um, murder had happened, they were skating vert and he was pushing his buttons or whatever. I, I don't know what he was doing. And they almost like started fighting. And Jason was like, fuck, I, I guess I'm going to have to fight Gator right now. And he was like, Dan Sturt grabbed him and he's like, that dude will kill you. Get out of here right now. <laughs> and he's like, damn, he might have saved my life. <laughs> I love Dan, man. I, I spent a lot of time with Dan. Come to think of it, he was like a big mentor for me. And he pushed me to do stuff when no one else would, you know. Right. A lot of, I learned a lot of stuff with, when I would shoot with Dan. Right. I would land stuff. Him and Sin, there was another guy named Sin, Sanisha, uh-huh. who was the team manager for Airwalk. Right. When him and, Dan, him and Dan got together, they did all those old, like, spoof Airwalk ads. Yeah. You remember? Uh-huh. Yeah. Were, that, was, that was really cool. Do you have a photo that you shot back then that kind of sticks out as one of your favorite? Yeah, Dan shot it. It was a back 78 nose grind on a handrail. It was, a, it was an airwalk ad. Oh, right. In 1989. Nice. Somehow it looks like I'm on top of the rail, which it didn't <laughs> seem like I was on top of it, but he, he did some magic with it and made it look like I'm on top. How cool. Um, but yeah. You were still on blind after the video came out, right? Yeah. We got to get into the story about you going to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Far away. Yeah. Was that kind of like, what year was that? So that, that like, came later. Like 94? That came later. No, that was, that was yeah, 94. I was on New Deal when I was in Europe. Oh, okay. I got let go kind of of, of blind. I knew I was going to get let go and I, I, I quit, but I, I probably got kicked off before I quit. <laughs> like a mutual deal? Yeah. Well, no, I got kicked off. I mean, I heard like they were just doing some team changes and I... I wasn't like at the time, I guess, useful mm. anymore. And then there's Mark had already, I think, left or was about to leave. Jason was going to leave, oh. and the, the team was dissolving. and And I got a new deal. I moved in with Justin Gerard. Oh, off of hate in SF. In SF, right. And then I I was living up there with Justin. And he took care of me and got me kind of hooked up with with New Deal. And I don't know what the hell was going on in my brain. That was the whole rave scene at the time. Yeah. So I started to do all you know. So ecstasy. ecstasy and yep. going out with Javante Turner and Keith Cochran and yeah. all these fools. And I don't mean like fools like that. You know what I mean? No, I, just, I totally. I was just, it was just all of us were, were fools as far as I'm concerned because we were just destroying ourselves and whatever. That was the party scene and we were, we were you know, experienced and all that. But I took those habits with me, you know, from SF when I moved, I think, back down to San Diego I moved in with, uh, back in with Danny. So I was with Danny before, you know, blind, got on blind, moved out, moved back, moved to LA. I think I spent a little bit of time in Venice with Dune. And then around like 94-ish, 95, I guess, moved back to San Diego. And all these were really short stints, like, you know, 
few months and that would move and it was weird almost like couch surfing but then i i kind of settled in danny's house i remember we went out just to keep it short danny josh swindell myself and a bunch of other heads went up to mammoth and uh it was with ken block josh had he had some lsd that he was given to everyone and uh i thought i was a professional like lsd guy so i was like took the initiative to take more than everyone else so when everyone was taking, you know, Josh's thing, he would go around everyone. He'd be like, here, bro, like uh, six of these are equivalent to one, bro. So just like, you know, just here you go. And, and I was like, cool, man, I'll take 30 of them because cause I'm used, to, I was like used to taking a lot at the time. So, and I took 30, I think 33 or so hits of, of it. After I took it, I realized what I had done. I was like, okay, I got this stuff now in my system. It's funny because Jason Lee, we always had this running joke when I lived with him. He would be like, Jason was super paranoid about someone putting LSD in his in his food. Yeah, I know guys like that. Okay, so he's like, someone put your LSD in and you're going to have a panic attack and die. All those old thoughts kind of raced to my head now. And I was like, oh, dude, I just, have, I just took 33 hits of LSD. So I chewed up the ball and I spit this wad of paper out, you know, of my hand. And I was like, well, it's too late then. And like 30 minutes later... I'm sitting there and it starts to like kind of like like I can't really swallow. I catch my catch a good swallow. Yeah. I was like, I'm not swallowing properly and something is like it just feels like it's some chemical, like I'm not like I'm not able to control my, my, my breathing well and I I kinda of start having an anxiety attack. Uh-huh. And then uh, I told Danny of all people, I was like, dude Dan Danny, you know, like I'm you know, like I I need help. You know, it's it's interesting because as, as as crazy as Danny was, you know, he was the one who was like sat down with me and he was like patting me on the back. Like, it's OK, bro. Like, yeah. Helping me through it, you know, uh-huh. which was interesting, you know, nice to see that. Like, I'm, you know, think I was very thankful that he was like supportive because but then I had to I had to go to the hospital. Well, so I wrote it out months later. I was with Christian Fletcher, Danny at one of Christian Fletcher's like death metal gigs or whatever uh-huh <laughs> i don't know how i found myself in all these situations but i'm <laughs> taking like a bunch of mushrooms now mm. and uh, i remember that was the highest no comply i ever did i remember doing like no complies on flat ground like waist high on mushrooms so Whoa. so i understand why evan smith is so like big on <laughs> hallucinogenics <laughs> i don't blame him because it does help your skating if you get in the right mindset yeah it's like i can do anything um but i was with them and i and i took mushrooms and then all the night long i was like I was just, we're just normal. In the morning time, we went to watch Christian Fletcher's footage of his first kickflip on a skate, on a surfboard. Surfboard, sick. And so we were sitting back and I was just tripping. I was like me, uh, Danny, Christian, and some other dude in the room. I don't remember who the other guy was. And they're all passing some, you know, weed around, whatever. I took a hit of the bong. I don't know. Like I completely everything transformed. Like I became like, I was in like ultra paranoia. Oh, shit. I, I was like, these dudes are gnarly. I got to get out of here. I don't know why like, I felt like that, but I was like, I don't feel good here. I got to go. And I, <laughs> I bailed out yeah. and started walking through the streets of San Clemente. Long story short is I turned myself in. I got my stomach pumped. After all that, the doctor, what they told me was I had chemical hepatitis. So I had this thick yellow like thrush growing on my tongue. And I had what's called a systemic candida or systemic fungal uh-huh. infection in my whole body. So when I had the mushrooms... It activated the the yeast systemically in my blood. So when I took the mushrooms, it aggravated and you know, I basically started to like have um, 
anxiety because I was I was vitamin deficient and I was eating poorly. I was just not taking care of myself. Sure. So whatever. When I went to Europe, a year after those two scenarios is when, you know, skating all day long and the fatigue and not sleeping well. And Who are you with in Europe? I was with um, New Deal. I was with Neil, Neil Hendricks, Tuss Pappas. Tuss was on Mad Circle. Ah. Um, were you guys going to like Munster and all the We were contests? going to Munster and we were, we, were doing, we were doing demos as well. Okay. Okay, so I'll paint a, like a really short picture of what happened. I bought a tarot book. When I was over there. Uh-huh. Okay, so I started flipping through tarot. This is before I became Muslim and I went on my own kind of spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. So in short, I read this tarot book and I was like, I was already a tripper in my own brain because I was, I was already, you know, used to like th- going inside myself and thinking too much. So I bought this tarot book and I started uh, reading all about all the numbers and I started making all these weird connections and basically just freaking myself out. And, and then ironically... I always was really paranoid about uh, what do you what do you call uh, what's that thing um, where you're scared of getting a disease? Hypochondriac. Oh, hypochondriac. So I was a hypochondriac as well at the time. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was scared I had AIDS. Oh. Okay. That was like the thing then. I was like, I have AIDS, and and Jason was the same way, and Jay Lee was the same way. And so when I was in Europe, I was like, that started to worry me more and more. Like I have AIDS, I have AIDS, I have AIDS, I have AIDS. And the crazy thing is, is there, there's a graffiti artist in Germany at the time, called HIV. Whoa. So I'm freaking seeing everywhere <laughs> HIV. <laughs> and this is reinforcing the freaking no craziness. Yeah. That happened for about a week or two in the tour, where when I got to Munster, I'm starting to see HIV everywhere. And I'm like, okay, this is something, like someone's trying to tell me something, like what the hell is happening? And this, I'm started, and then the tarot book and the numbers, and I'm like, ah. And then what happened is, I'm in a gas station at like, 11:30 at night and all the dudes from the industry are there like going to the only gas station that was close to the hotel to get drinks and whatnot and i went there too i was already losing it uh-huh. people already knew i was like you're struggling jordan's like going through something like yeah but we didn't have proper handlers then i guess if you want to call it like people to help us like a team manager yeah or team I mean, we, we did but we didn't it was just kind of like whatever yeah like or maybe i just slipped out away from the team manager and he didn't know but then I'm sitting in the in the gas station, and some random dude comes up. This German guy, who has a, a scar across his neck. He spoke in German to me, and something told me I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go with this guy and like see where he's gonna, what we're gonna do. <laughs> and then like I don't know what he thought. Like if I was like a lost kid or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, it's 17, 18 years old, or I don't know what he thought. But I got on the back of the bike with him and went to some squat house. Got there and met some other dude with a scar from his throat all the way down to his belly button. Oh. So the first dude had a scar across his neck. The second guy had a, you know, like he had open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And there's a girl with a golden sun medallion. It's all this trippy stuff. <laughs> and this is a squat house, like in the middle of Germany. And um, I stayed there for a couple of days and just was like doing all this trippy stuff. Nothing sexual or anything. Yeah. It was just a weird, like trippy thing, you know? And then I, I left there and then I went on the trains in Germany and rode into the kind of the wilderness on the train, got off, and then eventually the German police (laughs) brought me back to the hotel. A few days later, I had to go home. On the way back to Newark, New Jersey, so on the plane, I'm with Tuss Pappas Uh and Neil, of all people, and I'm like, I have to solve the JFK case. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, like I'm put here to solve JFK, and I know that JFK it's a conspiracy. The grassy knoll. And yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna solve it. And I was looking at briefcases around the um, the plane. I was like, that's the briefcase right there that has the documents in it. So I guess I was going and like grabbing people's <laughs> briefcases on the Whoa. plane. And um, it was I was totally gone, right? I mean, you could say, you could call it whatever, like manic depression or... But were you on I wasn't drugs? on anything. Oh, really? I wasn't on, that's the thing, I wasn't on anything. It was, it was purely like uh, manic depression, bipolar, grandiose like thinking like that just escalated. So when I got off the plane... Which I thought, by the way, when I got off, I was at Never Neverland Ranch <laughs> with Michael Jackson. Wow. <laughs> there was 40 police officers waiting there for me. Oh, for grabbing the people's briefcase? For basically, and they're like, hey, what's up, buddy? Like, how you doing? I was like, I'm good, guys. Like, you guys are like, and I was like, yeah, you guys are my bodyguards. Like, you're here to receive <laughs> where's, me. Where's Michael Jackson at? <laughs> yeah, like, where's Michael? Like, all right. Like, yeah, come on. No worries. And then they put me in like a, you know, um, you know the funny farm bus and strapped me down that was the day of that was 1994 which the same day ironically was woodstock so i was looking at the monitor tv monitor when i got to the psychiatric hospital of all these people partying at woodstock and i was like they're celebrating my <laughs> my, my this and that so it was, it was all it's really weird <laughs> so i'm just taking you into a mind yeah of the craziness so it was i was totally gone i'm trying to give some context to how wacky and zany it was but the little things like going to almost get in a fight with mike v uh on the course and other things like streaking i think i was streaking around there too and like there's a lot of problem you know in pro- europe yeah i think the most troubling thing of the whole thing is is like it's very rare that you found that i found anyone in the industry though that had the decency to like come up to me during that time and really like or after that time for that matter and have like a genuine care and concern like are you okay like is there anything i can do like you went through this like i understand like i haven't gone through it but i know someone who has whatever you know just trying to like you know you give yourself to this into an industry you know you give yourself to a team and you you exert your your, your blood sweat and tears for them you know and the, the least you have is a common decency to like inquire you know about the welfare of someone and, and try to help them you know that was i think the most hurtful part is like sure in the back of my own mind i was like man people don't really care too much it's kind of jacked up and then when i got off you know i got and spent 30 days in a marlboro psychiatric institute in new jersey in new jersey and marlboro ironically or coincidentally whatever you want to call it got shut down for um like malpractice like bad practice two years later right um after i left there because if you look up marlboro institute or marlboro psychiatric hospital it's like this was a spooky place it was a sanitarium basically where they were like do some pretty pretty uh, crooked things i feel like if your mind's kind of weak and then they put you in a psychiatric like all i can think of is how anxiety i would have like I'm never getting out of here. People think I'm crazy. Like and yeah. it would escalate. Like did it, you know, intensify everything or no, no. The, the weird thing is that probably uh, I don't know. It was weird. Like I I was in the moment as as all I could say. Like I was so far gone. There were times where I wanted to get out, but I think I was more of just like I was still not stable. So I was um, towards the end when the medication started to to work uh-huh. per se, whatever that means. Getting off medication, by the way, the, psych- the psychotropic drugs, when I finally got off them, you know, this is like years later, this is like probably like 10, I mean, 12 years ago, it was getting off it was like taking a piece of a t-shirt and dragging it through a thorn bush. 
was how it literally felt getting off Whoa. psychotropic drugs. It was a pull that of, of such like rely, like you relied so much on it. And I think that that's why most people don't get off psychiatric drugs. Like once uh -huh. they start, like the heavy ones, like Depakote, Zyprexa, you know, they target a certain part of your neurosystem and they, they kind of, they grab you. It was no joke. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, that's heavy. Yeah, but I was, I think what it was, what got me through is that I was always, I was still crazy, but I was just good. I was acting like I wasn't crazy. Like I figured out like, okay, they're going to interview me. I have to play it straight. Yeah. Because they're going to ask me some key questions. Do you want to hurt yourself? No. Do you want to hurt anyone else? No. You know, what day is it? So I'd have to find out what day it was. Uh -huh. And then, you know, just basics, you know? Yeah. And when they, they do these stupid audits, you know, and you're able to pass that, then based on that, you're, you're quote unquote okay. But I was not okay at all. I was, I was still very, 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 very troubled. But I got out of there. And I had other episodes after that until I finally, you know, figured out I know what was what the deal was uh -huh. and what the deal was a lot of it was believe it or not was like was dietary related there's a studies now that, that prove that there's a, a direct link between the stomach health of a person and their their neurological uh, state you, you mentioned getting off the medication was really like gnarly but do you think the process was beneficial would you recommend that or would you say like that whole part was well I recommend one thing if someone is really 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 um, off the rocker uh-huh they need to be number one, like contained, yeah, and controlled. That's where medication works best. Uh huh. It's never like the the goal is never to try to keep someone on medication. The right. goal is to 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 heal that deeper issue inside them, so they don't rely on medication. Sure. But the medication is just a band aid at the end of the day. Okay. But right. but if someone is say you know running down the street naked and they're saying that they're Jesus Christ. And these are the common like episodes, right? That uh -huh. Someone claims to be Jesus. Someone's running around naked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so those type of situations, they should be contained and controlled. person should get sedated so that they can um, then get some therapy and, and, and come off gradually okay. the medication. So then after that, you mentioned getting into Muslim. Is well, I, I embraced Islam. Yeah, well, so I, I saw the movie Malcolm X. Part of the definitely part of like the experience, like of what uh, I went through, uh, was all I guess pieces to making me look at my life and and kind of ask some simple questions. I don't know. I just got tired of not being in control of myself, and I got tired of see. For me, it wasn't ever about like re religion. Mm -hmm. I was never a religious person. Actually, I was very adverse to religion. I wasn't into it, and I I made fun of it. My grandmother always told me about. You know, yeah, there's a creator. You should do the right thing. It was basic, you know, golden rules sure. um, that she would instill in me. I saw the movie Malcolm X when I was already really, really just kind of coming out of my jacked up phase. And I saw that he was able to reform himself and become a better person from a complete criminal. He was able to make this transformation. And I thought that was really inspiring. And I wanted that for myself somewhat, even if I wasn't going to like make it all the way, I wanted to at least try to be a, a righteous person. Uh -huh. I knew I was going to screw up and I would continue and still to this day, but at least I was in the process of trying to um, do the right thing. And so Islam was, was, a, was a consequence of, of that, you know. Cat Stevens has been Muslim for since the, probably the early 80s. Right. His name Yusuf Islam now, but when Cat was in his record producer's house in Hollywood, he went out to the ocean and went swimming. And what happened is he um, he got caught in the in the tide, and got 
literally swept out to sea, couldn't get back in. And he just started to panic. And there was no lifeguard at the time. And he was the only one there. You know, he said, you know, you know, oh God, you know, if you save me, I'll change my life, you know. Nowadays, unfortunately, like when you talk about religion and, and, and religion in general is a very, very taboo subject. I understand how, because of my own upbringing, because of my background, I understand why people have an adversity sure. towards religion or to talk about religion or to hear, have to be preached to about religion. So I don't, you know, I don't preach to people. If someone asks me, I'll answer the, you know, what's required. Butch Sturbins, of all people, messaged me. Uh-huh. You know, from, you remember Butch? Yeah. From the Z Boys? Yeah, yeah. But he messaged me. I'll show you. Th- and, and I answered his question, you know. He's like, and so the thing is, like, with all due respect to my like, Christian brothers, like, yeah, I don't take the same approach. Like, I don't overtly, like, go and proselytize. Right. He messaged me and it was like, you know, instead of saying, like, bro, like, how you been? Haven't talked to you in a long time. He sent me the Malcolm X post I posted. And I, I posted this post here, and I was like, hand the presidency to a man like Malcolm and watch things get, you know, changed. Uh-huh. Anyone who knows Malcolm was, would agree that he was a very, very great man. And then Butch puts, says, he didn't like white people. Wow. Okay, so it's like, okay. I mean, first of all, that's to be argued. And there was a time where, where he had spoken about a lot of things about, you know, the, that the white man was doing, not white people in general, but the people. There was something called uh, slavery and civil rights movement in, in America. There's there things that actually happened that would warrant a black person yeah. to have some, uh, especially during, you know, in the 1950s and 60s. But it was interesting. I was just like, you know, towards the end of his life, he, did, he corrected that. I just answered him nicely. And then he said, he said, what do you think about Jesus and Christianity? And so I'm like, okay, and I answered him. But I think people in general, what I'm getting at is like, the ability to really understand and listen to each other uh-huh. has become more and more it's become more and more harder. At the end of the day, people don't want to hear what you have to say. They want to watch what you're freaking doing. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at your actions. In today's society, it just seems like people are so quick to judge and to look at somebody's downfall as their r- rise for some reason. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, haha, you blew it. Somehow I feel better. You're dealing with the media culture that thrives off of other people's dirty laundry, mm-hmm. of airing other people's dirty laundry. Right. I mean, the, the news is, is our very culture of Hollywood and news yeah. is, is hell bent on exposing the, the wrongs of, of anyone they can. Ironically, the, the, in more cases than not, the producers and the owners of those media houses are more corrupt than the stories that they're covering. Right. But you never hear about them because they own the they media house. They have the power. Exactly. How does this not get worse how does it get better more more things of what you're doing you know like seeking out like those conversations at whatever level they are i think like even in the small impact that they make like you know getting the right people and having the right conversations to expand that awareness of what's happening hollywood is probably the worst thing that's happened to culture as we know it and there's a documentary called hollywoodism that i encourage everyone to watch yeah it's on YouTube. Okay. And it will give you kind of the the breakdown of where how we've arrived here, where we're at today. I do have to go to the bathroom really bad. Oh, I'm yeah. just going to go real quick. Okay. Is, that, is that okay? Yeah, let's take a little break. No worries? Yeah. Okay, while he's peeing, let's get another one of our first impressions with Tim McKenney. First impressions with Tim McKenney. There was only one, and it was in Tampa. 
I believe we just were skating down the streets. It was in a time of less spoken words. Don't think he said anything, and if he did, it was under his breath. But the sense of calmness transferred into me. He was already spiritually conscious, while we all seemed lost. The machine might have got to him early. I was just stoked to be there to tell you the truth. Who don't remember the how to put on a condom board? All love, kid. It's going to be a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I was just it's trying some to heavy. Uh, that was some heavy shit. Let's go with the lighter <laughs> shit. <laughs> what you, Whoa, man. Okay. Hey, so the kids. What are the kids doing these days? <laughs> no, you you have a kid. I have four, two boys, two girls. What age span? My two boys, ten and five, and my two girls are uh, two and ten months. Oh, damn. Yeah, two years Got old. A little months. baby one. It's beautifully crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and you're living in the live Fremont in, area. I live in Union City. Union City, you liking it? I like it. Yeah, you've been there for a while, right? I've been here for about ten years. And you're uh, teaching the kids uh, at the skate park. You got like your own little academy. Yeah, we we do skateboard recreation programs. Um, so we partner with the cities, mm -hmm. and we also do after school programming. So we have about eight locations throughout the Bay Area. Yeah. Oh, cool. How many, and there's, you're saying that this one, there's like 30. We have like eight, a total of eight programs. So we have after schools as well. So it's crazy. I mean, this summer so far, we've had about 630 enrollments. Damn. Yeah. So it's like 40% of them roughly are, are brand new to skateboarding. So it's kind of cool. Like we have a, a full curriculum. Like we, we take them through like a, a series of exercises, like skill exercises. Uh-huh. They earn like little wristbands, like colored wristbands, like karate bands. Oh, okay. So they'll be able, like, you know, get like the green a blue band. belt. Green. Yeah, blue belt. It's just wristbands. How cool. That's and a good so idea. So it gives them something to, to strive for and, and work at. And, and we needed to have some kind of way for parents to understand that, that we're actually, you know, your kids are learning something. Here. Sure. They get stoked on it. Yeah. Mommy, I'm yellow now. Totally. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a fun way to uh, quantify or, kind of whatever you want to call it, measure uh, their their progress. So does that have you skating a lot personally? Lately, I haven't been skating as much as I'd like to. I've just, not because of that, just busy with like family stuff, uh -huh. the kids. And so I'm skating, but I'm not like skating, skating. Okay. Right now, so we're, we're dissolving the whole academy. Like we're going to get rid of the Jordan Richter Skateboard Academy. We're starting a new programming kind of brand, which is called Enter. Oh, it's called E N T E R. So enter skateboarding. Uh -huh. So it's strictly to promote skateboarding. That's oh, cool. that's really cool. Yeah, so we're working on that. What would you say the percentages of uh, female to male for the kids that are doing this stuff these days? Honest estimation, probably be like three out of every ten. Our girls. Our girls. Oh. I was just in Austin, and I was talking to the skate shop. Uh, Elias, he owns uh, No Comply out there, and he was talking about how, like, what have you noticed in skateboarding lately that's kind of cool or whatever? 
And he was like, absolutely, the growth of female skaters has been really like in your face. Like it's really mm. growing, and yeah. and that that's cool to see. Yeah. Um, who are some of the old skaters that you're still in contact with that like you're friends with and stuff that do you talk to anybody on like kind of a regular basis? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in touch with Brian Ridgeway a lot. Oh. I don't know if you know Ridgeway. Yeah. So we're we're in contact almost sometimes every week, but then we'll go a while without it. I mean Peter obviously like a it's a text message away, but we don't hang as much as, as we should, but uh-huh. um but Pete and then like Greg Witt. Oh yeah, I'm in touch with him a lot. Do you ever go down to Berkeley for ramp? I do, but not lately. I uh-huh. haven't gone in a long time. But I I was riding there. I need to get back back riding. That's a good ramp. Yeah, it is. It's built well and it's cool. You've been Mac, riding there too. Right? Yeah, me and Jason will go there, and then sometimes Max comes out and yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty rad actually. The, That's right. Like I. I'm not a vert skater necessarily, but I'm learning. I, and like I saw feeling. some footage of you. With, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you film with Jason, it's very true that he picks and chooses how long he's going to skate for. <laughs> so while he's doing his whole method, I'm down to skate. And then when he's ready, I'll grab the camera. But I don't necessarily think I have my vert legs yet, but like mm. it, it definitely helped like skating and Rob Welsh is there, and he, he yeah, he'll skate, and, right. and so it's he seems kind of like just he's, fun. He seems like a cool guy. I never, I only think I've met Rob. Yeah, he's ever. great. You would love him. He's Isn't funny, he? and he's really into like learning the vert stuff too. And right. uh, it's kind of like surfing for me, where I can go out and have a blast and suck. I've been doing this for seven years with the skateboarding programs here. Mm-hmm. At first, it was a way for me to like still be in the industry and I mean still be around skateboarding and not have to work a nine to five. Yeah, and, and then it turned into like saw the community response and saw like the need for like sounds corny or whatever, but like organized like structured programming because the reality is like cities and parents and schools like if we don't get in front of them and like and like help them understand if we don't create a, a reason for them, then they're just going to go default to like basketball and, and, and football and I think now it's coming to a point where the statistically um, traditional sports are taking a dip yeah that's what it seems like kids are losing interest as things become more more international and as more immigrants come there's more of a disconnection towards or, or I should say disinterest in some of the more traditional sports just because it's harder for them to kind of get involved and, 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 and sync up with their teammates and and compete and be competitive or whatever. So skateboarding is now becoming like the go-to for, you know, for uh, keeping active and and keeping cha- and challenging a child with you know, which is cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, individuality is great. I would just warn you kids that if you're too much of an individual, it can come back to bite <laughs> you in the ass. <laughs> you know? I'm just curious, like, what do you do with Thrasher now? I've been the lead at the web department for many yeah. years since it wasn't a big deal. And okay. then it turned into a big deal. And then we got more of a team. So it's funny because at one time I was doing like five websites. So now I'm, d- wow. I'm part of a team that does one. So it's interesting to look at things like that, right? Mostly I'm just trying to get out and film. I'll go to events, cover those. I help a lot of people with edits. Like P. 
people will go film stuff, but they don't really know how to edit. They'll send me the footage and I'll edit it. I encourage people to hit me up when they come to town because it's always great to like, hey, let's go skate first and foremost, obviously. But on top of that, like, yeah, maybe we can film something and, you know, maybe I can get a photographer out there and you can be in the mag. You know, Jake, Jake was always really supportive of me which was interesting oh really yeah, always, you had a good relationship with him yeah it was never bad it was it was um it was jake has always been obviously jake but yeah but he was one of the few that would like i think there was one instance where <laughs> it was like a, a a video premiere or whatever and someone like made fun of people like to make fun of me i guess huh. that's cool um <laughs> and jake was like what are you doing man like what is like what what are you making fun of dude you can't do like a nolly shuffle fakie bro or something like that over chest higher. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, he always was like very, uh, stu- I guess, stuck, stuck up for me. That's cool. He was a cool guy like that. Yeah, I miss Jake. Regardless of what people, <laughs> their ideas about him, he was dedicated to skateboarding. And Yeah, 100%. It's, uh, it's pretty gnarly going into work every day and just seeing his office because I work right next door to his office. And a lot Is of his, his office still there? Yeah. The, well, the office will always be there. But I mean, the, the things, like a, some stuff of it, is still there. A, a lot. Well, I would say a lot of his stuff is still there, yeah. There's a rack of clothes. There's, like, his jacket that he wore. All, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, in a weird way, it's kind of like, uh, like have you ever been to Bodie or one of those ghost towns? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that where, like, the people got up and just left everything, mm-hmm. and it it's still like it is. Like, the CDs are still there, The his scribbling, or, like, the things on the wall that he's tacked. I think it would be cool to preserve that and just make it, like, you know. yeah. You know, I don't want to say a museum is not the right word, but right. a, a, a memorial that's just kind of stays intact. Do you have any tips for like just trying to keep it positive in general? Like, uh, who? I'll take some from someone. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that's helped me a lot, especially like get through some of the hard times and the challenges, and and uh, I still have to always remind myself. But you know, selecting the right people, like the right friends, is freaking crucial. You know, you, you really do become the people you're around, uh-huh. the people you surround yourself with. Finding people who are going to be a positive impact. I feel like we need that more than ever, like to seek out the right people to surround ourselves with. So, yeah, so si- aligning with the right people, giving, self, giving time to yourself, like when you feel down or you feel depressed or you're going through something, like it's okay to like stop whatever you're doing, doing and go to the beach and break away. Yeah, you know, get a little me you time. That <laughs> me time, you know. Yeah, I don't know, meditate or whatever the hell, you know. It it works. Right. You know what I was doing is uh, and I would recommend uh, this for to try it. But a lot, what what has been the most I think life changing for me it has been probably been fasting. Oh, I mean, we fast as Muslims in Ramadan, like for days. We fast for thirty days. Whoa. But, but we eat at sun sundown. But if someone doesn't want to do that, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do that. So if someone is from another faith or, or another practice, or you know, don't necessarily have to be a, a religion, you can start, you know, when you wake up in the morning, just try to get as far as you can. Yeah, and you become accustomed to like, your stomach gets smaller, and you become accustomed to longer periods of time without food. And it engenders a certain type of humility. When you're hungry, right, you, you become humble. You'll be ir- agitated at first, but the more you practice it, then it'll start breaking you down ah. and you become more humble and you become more self-reflective. 
So fasting sort of uh, quiets or cools that fire down so that, that you can um, have some more clarity. The best sessions I've ever had was when I was fasting. Oh. I did a maple syrup fast. And Cab knows about the maple syrup fast. They always, I think Cab and Christian were doing it too for a while, but it's water, lemon, maple syrup, and cayenne pepper. Cayenne, yeah. I, was, I did that for 40 days. Whoa. Straight, with only that. Did you lose weight? I lost a lot of weight. I went down to like 145, 147. Wow. But I, I learned kickflip nose wheelies in, in the pool then. In, in Cunningham. No way. Out of the shallow into the deep. And that was I did that on the fast because of the clarity and the right. energy that I had. You know, I hang out with Jason Jesse a lot. Name drop there. But uh, <laughs> he just started doing transdental uh, Love meditation. You, yeah, he's the best. No matter what uh, anybody else says or thinks. He's a, he's, a great, he's a great guy. He's a good person. He started doing the transdental meditation. And he said that it is so powerful and helping him like with a lot of the struggles he's going through so i've been looking into that but that that stuff's hard for me like to like i start shaking and shit when yeah. i try to meditate like officially meditate yeah you know? yeah it's been fucking awesome um really a privilege i i'm privileged man thank you for your time and for no thank giving you me the, when, the, when the i started this whole thing I never envisioned that I'd be down here talking to you. And, and so it's <laughs> an honor for me. Like Really cool. It's good uh, shooting the shit. Likewise. But uh, yeah, man, I've been a fucking big fan of yours forever. And um, I Thanks continue so to be. I never was the FF vert guy. I always enjoyed it. And I think most people do too. They're just closet vert lovers. So uh <laughs> That's all we got today. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday as we are every Tuesday. Thank you so much, Jordan. And uh, any last words? Spread the love. Thank you, Schmitty. And th thank you for having me. And I just, yeah, I mean, the last words would be find out who individuals are on a, you know, by, by reaching out and actually trying to understand the person by actually spending time with them, if possible. Yeah. All right. And we out. Peace. Peace.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talkin' Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow up them charts. All the episodes will always remain free to my listeners, but if you'd like to help support the show, you can do so at our website, talkinschmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like stickers, beanies, hats, possibly even a t-shirt. The website has an entire archive of the episodes with extra photos and sometimes even video. If you have personal pics of our Talkin' Schmidt guests, please send them to me at epicallytrife at yahoo.com and maybe your photo will end up on the site or better yet on Talkin' Schmidt's Instagram account. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by me, Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature, and a special shout-out goes to my executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout-out. Love it! Until next week, this is Talkin' Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Talkin' Schmidt. Talkin' Schmidt. Talkin' Schmidt. <laughs> Talkin' Schmidt. <laughs>